Thank you. We're doing good? Happy Christmas. No? Okay. Leave it another week or two. Too soon? Okay. Anybody got their tree up yet? I actually heard a story yesterday of a, a businessman at Dungallon who has his Christmas tree up, not in his business, but actually in his home. That's way too early, isn't it? Good. So how are we all doing? Doing good? Enjoying this time of year? It's just fantastic, isn't it? The colour and... Yeah? No? Well, my name's Jason, if I've never formally met, and I lead here with Michelle. And we don't do it alone, of course. We do it with staff and volunteers and leaders, and we're a family that's fallen in love with Jesus Christ at Nazareth. And he's the best thing in our lives. And um, our job's really just to be here to promote Jesus and his kingdom here, near and far. And we, our prayer is that if you don't yet know him, that you would find the life and friendship with this Jesus of Nazareth who is changing lives moment by moment, second by second. Right across the world right now, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. You'll find most of our conversations here centered around this person of Jesus because he's the center and he's the one that we love to talk about more than, than anything else. So I hope that you're, you're good with that. I think we have a couple of birthdays this week. Uh, we have, well the kids are right, but there's a David Murr. David, why don't you stand? Well, we, yeah, come on, stand up. Uh, so happy birthday to you. Anybody else's birthday? Was there somebody turned 15 this week? Are they in the room? Miss Anna Happy birthday to you. Next week, we'll get you next week. Are you here? All oh, right. So would you like presents left around your house while you're gone? When do you leave? When do you leave next week? When do you go? Okay, they're debating. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Just meet her straight after the service, talk to her, find out where she wants her birthday presents and all that there. So... Uh, I love the stories of Jesus. Uh, I've said it before. I, uh, I remember coming into the vineyard in 1999. And, um, and they were constantly talking about Jesus. I find it very refreshing because most of the conversations that I heard in church were centered around theology, which, which actually is silly because Jesus is theology, isn't he? The teaching of God. The center of the teaching of God is Jesus Christ. He is perfect theology. But I used to hear some principles and some brilliant, exciting stuff, but, but there was, um, and I'm not just saying this is vineyard only, but there was something refreshing that the constant conversation was around Jesus Christ of Nazareth and his stories. And what I found is that when you read the stories of Jesus or when you hear people articulate or tell the stories of Jesus in conversation, and whether it's at a church service or around a table, um, it makes us fall in love with them all over again. Have you ever found that, that when you start to speak of Jesus, that you start to fall in love with him. And what that does, it causes us to pursue him passionately. And then there's not just a conversation, but I don't know about your life, but there seems to be then, there has to be an outflow of the conversation of Jesus. Because we love him then, what happens is that when I'm around the stories of Jesus, when I'm around the person of Jesus, via the Holy Spirit in moments and gatherings, even like we're having today, what happens is then I tend to want to live like him and love like him. To live like him and to love like Jesus actually requires action, participation, and outflow of our lives in our everyday and in our very much what seems to be the ordinary. And so what my hope for this series is, and you've probably, uh, if you've been around now for the last actually 10 weeks, I think we've been in this conversation called Kingdom Culture, is that where, you're, where we're actually heading is that we've been teaching a lot on it, but we're actually getting to actually participate now in the kingdom and actually action some of our words. But I want to say this right from the outset, that the goal of the kingdom culture is not that we chase after signs, miracles, and wonders. But every one of us who are seated here, 
whether you know him yet or not, we're called to the lifelong pursuit of Jesus Christ. And there's a difference. Our life pursuit is not to go after the things of the kingdom. Our life pursuit is to go after the king. And his transforming love for us compels us to do that. And it's actually very easy. And that's why we tell stories of Jesus here. That's why we want to speak of Jesus. We want to introduce you to Jesus because he compels us. His love transforms his life. Actually, the scriptures tells us that his kindness causes us to think differently. It's his kindness of God that causes us to change our mindset and to fall in love with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so that's our lifelong pursuit. It's from here then that we live like Jesus and we love like Jesus. It's from this moment, from the pursuit of Jesus, that we actually become like Jesus and we start to do what he does. So there's a direct correlation of falling in love with him and do what he does. So the question is not really what are we doing, but who are we becoming? Two very different questions. It's not about activity for the sake of activity. It's not about going out and doing stuff in the streets. It's not about healing the sick per se, just that that's the goal. It's actually us becoming Jesus to the world and becoming like him. When you become like him, you love like him. When you become like him, you live like him. And then the natural overflow is not that we're trying to get you to do something, but there should be an automatic response, a, a, a certain, or just a, yeah, just an automatic, even without conscience, that we would actually want to do the things that Jesus did. So in the vineyard, we use a saying, uh, from an old guy with a white beard who looked a little like Santa, I suppose his name was called John Wimber. He used to say quite a lot, he said, we want to grow up before we grow old. What did he mean by that? He said, it's not about how long you've known Jesus. It's not about the length of time that you prayed a prayer or how long you've been coming to church or going to Sunday school or whatever your background of faith and formation is. It's not about how long we say and confess. It's actually, are we growing up? Because it's possible to grow old in faith even and have no maturity. Never grow up in the things of the Spirit, in the ways of Jesus. It's actually possible to come to church on a weekly basis, to attend all the activities, to engage in all the activities, and be so, so unlike Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So what we want to do here in Vineyard, we want to help you to grow up before you grow old. Doesn't, doesn't matter how long you know him. Doesn't matter what your background is. If it's one full of pain and shame when you've met Jesus, it's a free, uh, fresh start for you. So the goal is that we become like him. It's the passionate pursuit of becoming like King Jesus. Let me read the ancient scriptures. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. After John was put in prison, Jesus went all around Galilee, Proclaiming the good news of God, the time is now fulfilled. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right near. It's touchable. Repent and believe the good news. This is a summary of Jesus' ministry. The key that unlocks all the stories of Jesus of Nazareth. This one statement here is the actual key that unlocks the activity of God in our lives here today. Wherever Jesus went, he announced the kingdom. His announcement made it happen. He enacted the kingdom by healing the sick, by driving out demons. He enacted that. There was a demonstration. There has to be action. Words and works are inseparable in the kingdom of heaven. You cannot have the gospel of Jesus Christ without kingdom activity. It's impossible. It's impossible to have a gospel, to have a good news about Jesus Christ of Nazareth and not have works. We can't simply talk about the goodness of God without demonstrating the goodness of God. We can't talk about the power of God without demonstrating the power of God. It actually goes down to everything in our lives. It's not just about power or healings or signs and wonders and miracles. It actually goes through everything in our lives. You can't talk about forgiveness without forgiving. It's that simple. You can't talk about loving your neighbor without taking their bin out. It's, there's action always correlated to the announcement of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus preached, he demonstrated. When he said, he actually actively engaged people and made stuff happen. And so Mark recorded Peter's eyewitnesses of how Jesus ministered and actually how he preached. And we began last week, sorry, we began last week by telling some of the stories of Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to continue this week to do that. And slightly different to our liturgy this morning. Liturgy just means a form, a service, how we do things. Usually in the vineyard, it's very easy. It's very simple. Um, we begin at uh, 11 o'clock. 
We actually begin at 11 o'clock, just, just putting that out there, not quarter past or ten past. But we actually begin at 11 o'clock with worship and singing. Actually, I was just thinking this morning that it's very important that we proclaim through song. When we proclaim through song, we're actually activating the kingdom of heaven here in the smiths. Do you know that? So when you stand there and you think, well, that's just not really my, um, that's not my personality to sing. Well, I would probably say take a step beyond convenience and sing. It's the one thing that we do together. You don't need to be a brilliant singer, but actually you're doing more than singing songs. You're actively engaging and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. And when you proclaim the word of God through faith, through faith, right? It's active. Romans tells us that the word of God, there's this text in Romans where he says, you don't need to go up to the heavens and the mountains and go back. It says that the word of God is in your mouth. Therefore, we proclaim it, we activate it. So part of our worship liturgy here on a Sunday morning is that it's more than just singing songs to Jesus because he's worth it, and he is. The other part of that is this mystical moment of the kingdom of heaven when we actually engage our hearts with the words that we're singing and we proclaim something, and not just proclaim it, what should happen in your mind and your heart, they should start to line up. and There should be a, a correlation between mind, logic, and fire through the Holy Spirit. And then we actually engage in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, you're actually inviting the kingdom of heaven to come to earth. Did you know that? Just that simple song, Come Holy Spirit. It's not a vineyard song. It's a kingdom song to invite the presence of God to, to come and sit and rest on us and fill us and empower us. And I thank God for worship leaders who actually proclaim and actually activate the kingdom by saying, Be filled with the Spirit, just like Alan did today. This is so good, guys. You, we, sometimes we just get stuck in the familiar, but we need fresh eyes to see the freshness and the activity of the kingdom among us. That we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Lord is doing among us. So I pray that revival and awakening would happen in our hearts this morning. And so our liturgy, back to our liturgy, we do this singing, this proclaiming, this worshiping, this adoration to King Jesus. King Jesus, the rightful King. And when we do that, then we are here in this space, and that's the end goal. It's not the warm-up for the speaking. And then we usually open the ancient scriptures, proclaim through teaching and through uh, reading and application of the Word of God actively on a weekly basis. That's what we do. And then at the end of that, one of our non-negotiables, Michelle and I were talking about this, I think it was Friday afternoon, we were talking about what is our non-negotiable. We started this thing 15 years ago, and we were reminded of a conversation sitting with a guy called Alan Scott and Catherine Scott sitting around a table before we plant the church, and they said, what would be your non-negotiables? And both of us immediately said that we would, our non-negotiable would be ministry of the Holy Spirit at every active and present service. Every time we gather together, whether it's two or three, or whether it's 103 or whatever the numbers are, it's not important. The important thing is that we are a church, that our non-negotiable is that we would always be ministers of the Holy Spirit. More than even a prayer team. The prayer team is just language that we use, and I know we can get a bit uh, caught up in words and all that there. But let me say, it's very intentional that it's not just a prayer team, it's actually a ministry team. What these guys do after a talk on a Sunday morning is actually minister the Holy Spirit to you. They become the ministering people, the body of, body of Christ, sorry, kings and priests. But today, what I want to do is throughout this conversation, throughout telling the stories of Jesus, I want us to pause and begin to minister to ourselves and maybe to each other. Are you up for that? Slightly different. Change is good. So Mark, he records the eyewitnesses and, and the stories of Jesus that we began to talk about last week. I said that he rules over demons. He pushed evil out into the open. He rules over sickness. And again, let me just be very clear on this. Jesus does not uh, sort of tiptoe over sickness. He actually shows contempt for it. There's a contempt for it. There's a rebuke in his actions and words. Yes, there's compassion, but it's not passivity. It's actually, he's, he's aggressive towards the thing behind the sickness. And so he's not aggressive towards people. He's not, it's not the person, but it's the, it's the underlying, the thing that lies behind that. And I said before that when, when Jesus came announcing the kingdom, that the Jews' mindset was the young Jews' people, the young Jews' men and women, they were saying, great, he's going to deal with their enemies. And Jesus was saying, yes, but not the enemy that you think. I'm going to deal with the real enemy underneath what you're seeing played out in civilization. And so he shows contempt for sickness. He rules over sickness. And then 
we came to the other part where he rules over sin. And I, I told the story of the four guys who changed their thinking, who because of their faith, they walk upstairs onto a rooftop, get inside the building. Nothing was stopping them at this moment. They were going to see their friend made well. They had enough faith in their hearts to try and do something absolutely different, out of the norm. And then Jesus says the man, your sins are forgiven. And then the, 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 the Jewish people, the, they're saying, hey, hey, there's a system here. He should be going, you've got no right to do that. He should be going to the temple, getting cleansed at the temple and getting the sins forgiven. Who are you? And Jesus says, what's easier? Say to a, a man who can't walk, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. And we concluded last week, it's much easier to say sins are forgiven. But there's also a truth and a teaching in that, that Jesus can as easily forgive your sins as he can heal your sickness. So he rules over sin. He frees us from our past and our shame, and he brings us into a new and graceful land. So do you want to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4? Does anybody need a Bible? Feel free to grab one. There's some here at the front. There's also some at the back. If you want to grab one, go to, go to the book of Mark. And we're going to tell two stories today from the, the book of Mark. Again, it's probably the first gospel that was written, written by John Mark, uh, eyewitness account of all that Peter uh, told him and Peter's, all the things that Peter saw Jesus do and teach. So these guys are getting together. They're, again, just to reiterate that we talk about these dark days, when John Mark wrote this, that these were the darkest days in their history when the church was under the most persecution and lived in fear of their lives. And he writes us to encourage them to say, hey, look around you. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here. Have hope. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. So we're going to turn to chapter 4, and uh, we're going to go to the Jesus Calms the Storm. Are you familiar with the story? It says in verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. I love this part, leaving the crowd behind. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. I think I've said this before. There were more than 12 disciples. There were also women who were part of this uh, traveling community who ministered to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So there just wasn't 12 people. It was quite wider than that. But Jesus influences the 12 and spends most of his time with them. But there's way more people that were connecting with Jesus at that time. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Detail. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you even care about us? Do you even know us? Do you even see us? We're dying and do you actually care? Repent and, believe. Repent and believe, Jesus says. He doesn't actually say that. The disciples, sir, what they're doing in this moment is they're reacting with their five senses, Right? And I know none of us would do this. And if we were in the boat with Jesus, we would be just filled with faith and we would do things altogether differently, wouldn't we? We wouldn't react at all with our five senses, our smell of fear and it's palpable and the touch and you can see and you can taste the waves and the salt of the sea coming up into the boat. And sometimes, you see, the scriptures are written in history and we have to imagine. Allow yourself to imagine what it's like to live with Jesus Christ of Nazareth and to be there. Oh, may our imagination run wild today with kingdom possibilities. Jesus lives, and actually in this case, he's resting the reality of the kingdom. While they're playing on their five senses and living in their five senses, which we would say is just wisdom, and that's what we should do. There's another reality, the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Because we live in Western society, and, and most of the things, how we view the world is through a world system, and most of how we view things is through the five senses. And everything outside of our five senses, then it's just weird and hocus pocus. And that's why you go to, people say to me, well, why did so many miracles happen in India? Does God have favorites? No. I think the big thing is that they have a different view, a different lens. They actually see the kingdom as much reality as the things that they touch and hold. And probably because they don't have so much to hold and to touch and to create and to stockpile that they actually, their lens, their eyes are open to see the things of the Spirit because they know that that's where the true resources are. And that's as much a resource as the things that we can hold and touch and collect. Repent and believe. Change your mindset. Metamorpha, change your mind. 
to the different thinking that the reality of the kingdom. And I love this story that Jesus can rest in the reality of the kingdom. He can actually sleep in the reality of the kingdom. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get way too anxious. Do you ever get anxious? Just me and a few ladies out there. And all the guys are like, no, no. Not me. Hard as nails. Do you ever get anxious? Yeah? Do you ever get a wee Sunday morning, Sunday night? Not Sunday morning, please. Heaven forbid. (laughs) When you walk away from the soft, dulcet tones of my voice, into the darkness and the abyss of your own homes. It's there in those moments around 9.30 at night that the darkness comes. And those four letters start to make us anxious, don't they? W-O-R-K. I get way anxious when I don't rest in the reality of the kingdom. When I cling to what's seen and what looks like stuff and when it seems to be something that I can physically hold on to. Yeah? Because that's what we do. When I need something to hold on to and it's not the kingdom, then I find myself way too anxious. Way too anxious. I get overwhelmed. Stuff overwhelms me when he's not all I want. And when the kingdom is not my priority, I get anxious. So let's pause for a moment. Repent and believe. And let's just take a moment right now where you are, where you're seated, and let's repent and believe. And I don't mean just confess your sins, but right now, if there's an area in your life, if there's something that you're anxious about, anxiety is not a sin, but it's crippling. It's paralyzing. So if you have an area of anxiety in your life right now, I want you to just pause, maybe close your eyes if you want, just so that you're not thinking about the person beside you. That's, that's the only reason for that. I want us to repent. I want you to change your thinking right now. I want you to actually even consider for the first time, maybe in a long time, or maybe the first time in your life, that there is another reality, that there is a kingdom presence, that there is a possibility that when Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, he actually means what he says. So what does the other side look like for you this morning? That your family would be taken care of? That the news that you've received can actually be reversed because of the presence and power of the King Jesus who rules and reigns over everything. Over sin, over death, over sickness. We've talked about it. Over evil. There is a possibility. There is a possibility that God could break into that situation. So just for a moment. This is our ministry time this morning. This is our liturgy. Let's just pause for a moment. And whatever that area of anxiety is in your life, I want you to repent. I want you to see God's kingdom as a possibility. Fill your hearts and minds with faith and rest. Actually, I pray tonight, that from this moment on, that your sleep would be sweet, that your mind would be on the things of Jesus, that your hearts would be rest in his presence, and that you would find that a place of of peace, of shalom, of well-being. That your work would not cause you anxiety. That the situation, that the relationships that are broken or fractured, that the news that you've just received, or the disappointment that means maybe in your life right now, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that it would be broken over your life. And that you would start this moment to seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and allow all the other stuff to fall into place, to be added on to you. So come, Holy Spirit. I proclaim and I activate the kingdom of heaven among us right now. And I do so through the strong name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. He gets up and he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Uh, I don't know about you, but I always, um, uh, uh, no offense, but I always imagine Jesus doing this for whatever goes on in my head. There's some, this is just crazy in here sometimes. All right. You want to spend a weekend here, a day, probably would actually exhaust you. But um, I always picture Jesus doing that in an English voice. I don't know why. And a very polite English voice. Maybe it's just people telling stories or you've played it on a tape. You know, a tape, a 45, you know, tapes. No, no, okay. Uh, And you pray and and Jesus says, be still, quiet. Uh, And we used to, Caleb, when Caleb's a big boy now, he's 22, and... um, 
he's probably listening online now for just some, he goes to another church and he just doesn't find it. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm joking, by the way, I'm joking. And uh, so when Jesus, when Jesus was wee, when Caleb was wee, we used to tell him, we used to read stories. We do do our boys, we used to retell stories of Jesus. Because Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to the Scott family. Kid you not. And so we used to tell stories to Caleb. And Caleb used to love this story. And then he used to say, Beetle. <laughs> and so, Beetle. And that was the same. We used to say, you know, with great excitement, what did Jesus do at this moment, Caleb? What did he do? And he said, Beetle. <laughs> and, um, but it's kind of cute. And it's kind of nice. And it's kind of polite. And it's kind of reverent. But, the same word that Jesus used to rebuke the storm is the same word he uses to rebuke the demon. So it's not really polite. It's not really passive. It's not be still or be still or quiet. It's actually aggressive, not towards people, but the actual intent behind the storm. Because the intent behind the storm here is demonic. It's actually trying to wipe out the disciples, take them out of the conversation, take them out of, the, of this actual earth to, to do away with them. And obviously you understand why the enemy would want to take those guys out, right? Peter and those guys on this rock, I will build my church. right? You can understand why that would happen. But when Jesus gets up, he has contempt, the same contempt he has for a, a dirty, unclean demon. He says, shut up! He rebukes it. And he broke the intent of the evil behind the storm. So it's more than being passive. In fact, biblical theology, here I go. You've got me on one now, or I've just got myself on one actually. You're just sitting there quiet. Biblical theology is that creation is fallen and it's broken, right? That's why we have tsunamis. They're not curses from God, by the way, because somebody believes something in a nation. Like just some weird Christians do on those gospel channels. Don't, don't, don't go down that road. It's not that. It's actually the reason we have tsunamis and storms that wipe out people and kill people is because of the brokenness in creation. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Because of Jesus Christ the Messiah, because of the King Jesus through the kingdom of heaven, he is restoring all things. He's restoring all things, and that means creation too. He has a plan for creation. We're not going off into the clouds. He's making all things new. And in this moment, Jesus is actually... Um, demonstrating power over nature. What has happened and it's out of this chaos, out of this storm, out of the brokenness of, of creation that came through the fall, because of Jesus Christ Messiah, the King that has come, he's saying even, even creation, even the brokenness of the cosmos, I am restoring and making all things new. Do you get that? And it's the part of the kingdom. It's a wonderful story. And it's way bigger than getting your sins forgiven. It's actually, he's, he's taking us into a whole new world. God isn't making new things, but he's making all things new. Let me say that again, because it's worth noting. God isn't making new things. He's making all things new. Thank you. I was going to ask for one, but I'll take that. There is a regime change, people, on the planet. His name is Jesus. There is a regime change. A change that has begun, but it's not yet complete. And it begins with King Jesus. Don't you love him? The one day down and it was completely calm. Because he had contempt for the brokenness in creation. And the evil intent. And then he says to his disciples, I find this fair... I always think, Jesus, sometimes you're a wee bit hard. Do you ever think that? You know, like these guys are on a boat. You can understand it. The, the waves, the sea, it's dark, it's cloudy. You're fearing for your life. Um, has anybody ever been there? Yeah? Like in fearing for your life in the sea? Yeah? I did one time. It's all about me this morning, isn't it? But I do have a mic. I set off on a jet ski. And I knew it wasn't going to be good. I'm telling the story, Sharon. Sharon comments is going, no. And, and, and what happened was I went out into these waves, and the waves were really big, and somebody else was driving. That's another lesson. 
people have learned since. Um, and I thought, we're going to come off this thing. And we came off, and this jet ski thing went flying up in the air, and I watched it flying up in the air. And we, went in, we were in the middle of the sea, and this was very, uh, what was the word? There was a swall. There was so. <laughs> so I started swimming, and I soon learned that I was running out of energy. And the further, the harder I tried to swim, the less distance I got. And can you imagine there's people on the beach? <laughs> the jet ski comes in on its own without people. You wouldn't need to be um, Holmes or Watson, would you? To know that when a jet ski comes in on its own without people, something might be amiss. Actually, two people. So we were fearing for our lives, at least I was fearing for our lives, and I was like repenting, and then I was thinking everything was flashing through me, my life was flashing through my mind, and I was saying goodbye to Michelle and, and, and my imagination and the boys, and I thought, this is it, this is it, and then I thought, I should just try something, so I put my feet <laughs> down and walked on in. And met a loving, embracing wife. <laughs> and it's funny in those moments how things get prioritised. Back to the story. Why are you so afraid? This is what he says to him. I would say to Jesus, well, I'll tell you why I was so afraid. Because the waves and the wind were crashing in. Everybody's sitting on the beach here having a good old time. And uh, you're sitting sleeping on a cushion. Do you actually care? Now, I know none of us would ever think about Jesus in that way, but anybody with the darker side to them? Have you ever thought that? That stuff goes on in your life and you're thinking, Jesus, do you, do you really care? Do you see? And that happens when we operate with the five senses and not the kingdom reality, that we are resting in another reality, or actually we're not resting, he's resting in another reality. We're getting stressed out and anxious and, and, and actually overwhelmed by how we see things by the naked eye, and he's saying, Where's your faith? Do you know what he's actually saying in that moment? He says, when I, w I was sleeping, what he's actually saying was, listen to this. This is, this, is, this is deep, right? But it's very challenging. Jesus is saying, I expected you to handle this. Because they've come out of stories. They've come out of reality. They've come out of other things. They've seen Jesus do stuff. They've done stuff with Jesus. And then they went and did it their own. And then Jesus is in this moment. He's saying, guys, pick it up. You rebuke it. You announce it. You speak it into being. You proclaim it. You tell this evil intent to stop. Say, quiet. Speak it into being. It's your job. I, I was sleeping because you were there. There's enough of us. Just somebody get up and get on with it. And I think it's what the Lord is saying to, to the church in the West at the moment is that maybe we look like we're sleeping, but it just takes somebody. There's enough of us. Somebody. It just takes one person to get up. And to demonstrate and proclaim that the kingdom is here. Guys, we don't need mega churches. We don't need clever ideas. We don't need strategies and, and planning and all those things are good. But we just need somebody who will get up, who has changed their mind, their mindset and their thinking. And they're open to the wildest possibilities that God could break in any moment. That there is another king in charge. And we just need somebody or some people to stand up and proclaim and announce that the kingdom of heaven is here. Why have you no faith? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The kingdom is at hand. It's near. The kingdom is within reach. We need to start to exercise our faith. We need to learn to just not talk about it, but to actually exercise our faith. In other words, repent and see that the kingdom of heaven is near. It's within reach. You exercise your authority. That's what he's saying to the disciples. He says, lads, exercise your authority. Stop just... Coming with me on the trips and the ministry tips. Stop just getting caught up in all the teachings and getting swayed by the Pharisees and the religious stuff that's all happening around you. Actually see the bigger picture. You've been involved in it. So now you start to do something about it. Step out in the presence and the power of the kingdom. I think I already said it this morning. Romans 10 says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. It's big spiritual language. Don't say who will ascend into heaven. This is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. 
And that's what I would say to Vineyard Church this morning. Vineyard Church in Ghana. The word of the Lord is in your heart. It's in your mouth. Actually start to proclaim it. Do something about it. Demonstrate it and see what's happening. You can't just complain that you're not seeing anything happen if you're not demonstrating and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. You've got to stay quiet. You've got to stay shut up to some of the evil intent that is around you. Whether that's coming through sickness. Whether that's coming through storms in your life. Whatever those storms are. Whatever is going on in your life, at some point in your life, as a follower of Jesus Christ, because you have the Spirit in you, and you have the Spirit on you, there comes a moment in your life where you've got to, at some moment, get up, stand up, and say, shut up. And demonstrate with faith that the Word of the Lord is in your heart, and it's in your mind. See, why do we believe it for our sins forgiven, and we don't believe it for the kingdom coming? What's easier? It takes a lot of faith, people, to believe that this Jesus Christ, when you, when the, the rest of that text in Romans 10 actually gives us how we are to repent of our own personal discrepancies and sin. It says repent and believe, right? And that's, there's, a, there's a proclamation that. So how is it that the church of Jesus Christ throughout the entire earth can believe that if they proclaim that, right? Which is pretty, it's a pretty big miracle. That when you proclaim that, that Jesus Christ fills you with, your, with his spirit, God fills you with your spirit, and you, you are saved. And I mean the right sense of the word. You're saved for eternity. And eternity begins in that moment. Why is it we can believe for that, but we can't believe that we can proclaim and see activity of the kingdom in all areas? We need to change our thinking. We need to change our mindset. We need to repent and believe the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? Turn to the person beside you and say, this is really good this morning. I'm glad I came. So Jesus rules over nature again, the shalom of God to the cosmos, to the earth, and to, to, to every living creature. And then the disciples, they ask this question. I love this question. Who is this? I thought I knew him. Who is this man? Don't you love that? And here's what I've learned. I don't know about you, but I know about me. When, when we put King Jesus into our small thinking, every time the kingdom breaks in, it's always like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Who are you? Do you ever find that? Because of my small thinking sometimes, when I just put them into my five senses and, and the present reality, when I don't consider that the, the possibility that the king could break in at any moment, I, I, I feel like I don't know him again. Alan Scott had a great uh, description. I've mentioned him quite a lot this morning. Alan Scott had a great description. When he had the Glaswegian accent before it went sort of transatlantic, God bless him. He used to talk about the God of the big sleeves and the Glasgow accent, and I loved it. He's the God of the big sleeves. It means that he can, he can just pull stuff, pull stuff off that we could never imagine. More than we could imagine or ever dream of. The God of the big sleeves, he actually is the God of the big sleeves. He does some pretty amazing stuff. Look at this. I kid you not. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Who'd have thought? And look at yourselves. Doesn't he do things well? Look at your marriages. Look at your children. Look at the moments when he breaks in. Doesn't he do stuff well? I've got another brilliant story and I want to tell it before we finish. But I do want to say this. The biggest enemy of faith is not doubting. It's always fear. It's always fear. People believe stuff. I believe stuff, but it doesn't mean I act on stuff. That, that's, I, don't have a, I don't have a faith because I believe stuff, and I have a faith because I engage and I activate stuff in my life. Does that make sense to you? It's not like the scriptures tell us, even the demons believe and tremble. Like they, they, they know the stuff's real. They're saying, hey, what do, you, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? Don't come now. We know the end's here and all that stuff. They, they know stuff, but it's not about knowing stuff. It's not about believing stuff. It's actually about actively engaging stuff. It's actually proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? Let's do some ministry time. Let's repent and believe. So just close your eyes. If there's a fear in your heart right now that I believe that the Lord is always at work. It says, without God you can do nothing. And some of us just hang our hat there, don't we? <laughs> just do nothing. But the, the opposite is true. With God you can do something. And God is doing things all the time. He's at work right now. The Father's always at work. But there's some things that have really sensed. This, is, this was my prayer time this morning. I was prayerfully imagining this, this talk. 
And I just sense that the Lord is highlighting some things for you to engage with. Now, it might have something to do with the supernatural, but it might just have something to do with proclaiming what's right, what's true, and what should be in our society and in our culture. But because of fear, it's paralyzed you. It's not your belief system. You know and you believe what it is to be true, but it's fear that's actually paralyzing you from stepping and advancing to see God's kingdom advancing. So I'm going to break that fear over you right now. I don't, I don't know if I have a scripture for that, but I have a faith for that right now. So that's you this morning. Just raise your hand as every eye is closed. Yeah. Thank you. Bless you. I break fear, break fear off you right now in the strong name of Jesus. You also. So Lord, I just join with my brothers and sisters, this family of God, and I break fear over their life so that they can step into the reality and the possibilities of the kingdom of heaven here and now. And I pray that they would live free love-based lives, that they would walk forward in your love and into your love. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We've got time for one more story. Good. This side of the room, are you just, do you, you can grab a coffee and I'll, you're okay too? You're okay? You're okay. Well, you're not getting coffee until I'm finished. This is, this is a brilliant story in so many levels. This is one of my favorite. I, know, I don't know if you can have favorites, but yeah, you can. I don't mean children, but <laughs> I mean stories. Mark 5, 21 to 43, just to save time, I'm going to paraphrase, okay? I'm going to retell the story for us. There's a guy called Jairus. He's a synagogue leader. Big wig in the culture. Big wig in the culture. To be uh, part of the synagogue was pretty, gives you a lot of power and a lot of clout. And he's actually a leader in the synagogue, so he, he's a pretty influential guy. He comes to Jesus for help, which is a whole story in itself, considering that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. And then he's coming as a synagogue leader to ask for help from Jesus. Do you get it? Allow your imagination to, to engage with the historical Jesus. Jesus says yes, and on his way, he's interrupted by a woman hemorrhaging and bleeding internally for, internally for 12 years. She runs into the crowd, pushes in and touches this cloak, the end of his garment. He's wearing an outer coat. She gets a hold of that. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but Jesus says these words, who touched me? And the disciples say, come on, Jesus, are you, for ser- are you for real here? There's thousands of people. You're just, there's a, there's, there's a, it's just chaos. It's just crowd control needed to happen. Here's a brilliant moment that models to us the awareness of the kingdom now and the realism that the kingdom is not yet here. Jesus is operating outside of his five senses into the kingdom reality again. He's changed his thinking. He is the Messiah God. He's moving and ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not moving and ministering because he's the Son of God. He's moving and ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that helped Jesus to minister on the earth. I hope that you know that. So Jesus is operating in a different level. He knows the power has gone from him, so therefore he has awareness. Are you with me? He's aware. It's more than somebody's touched him. He's actually realized that something different has gone on here in this moment, that there's power gone out of him and something has happened. And then in the next moment, he turns around and says, who touched me? There's the realism that he doesn't know all things yet. He's ministering in the power of the Spirit. And that should give us some comfort, uh, uh, actually, when we're ministering, that we don't know all things, that we live in the tension of the kingdom come, the reality of the presence of the future breaking into this age, that there is a reality out there that we're aware of that. And then at the same time, we don't know all things, that the kingdom hasn't come yet fully. It will come one day when he returns. So in this moment, Jesus lives in this tension. But I want to say that it's seamless. It's seamless. It's all happening at the one time. See, what happens is that sometimes, well, myself, probably, I, wake, I make too many excuses for the not, not yet. When it's seamless, it's okay to not... I'm spending too much time with this, people. Sorry. Apologies. Uh, there, there seems to be just... In the life of Jesus, there, there, there just seems this seamless feel where he just operates in the power that is now, and yet he's quite happy in the not yet. It doesn't stop him from ministering. Do you see what I'm saying? And yet what's happening in the church, especially in the vineyard, is that we've got caught up in the not yet. 
what he's not doing, what I don't know, and we put all our eggs into that basket, and we start to walk in that doctrine, and that theology, and all the time, we're excluding the kingdom of God, breaking in at any moment. See, it's okay. It's okay for it not to be not yet, but it doesn't exclude the fact that it is now, at the same time. Are you with me? It's seamless. There's an awareness, and there's also the reality that I don't know all things. I don't know what's happening. And I just love that moment when Jesus, the Son of God, realizes that power's gone out from him and somebody's touched him. Jesus was not making fun of the woman. He wasn't publicly embarrassing her by saying, who touched me? He was actually being genuine and real and truthful when he said, I don't know who touched me, but I do know something. Somebody's been healed. Somebody's been healed. Operating in a different power. Jesus, he kept looking around to see who had done it, to see the disciples' five senses again, mindset, they hadn't changed. They need to repent and believe it time and time and time again, just like we need to repent and believe. So they didn't repent and believe, and they're thinking, well, of course somebody touched you, and Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get it. Something has happened, the kingdom is broken, somebody is healed. Are you with me? So he keeps looking for the person to see who's done it. Verse 33, then the woman Knowing what had happened to her. She knows what's happened to her. Jesus knows something's happened. He doesn't quite know what's happened. He knows that somebody's been healed. That there's power gone out from him. Uh, She comes to him. She falls on her feet. And she's trembling with fear. And she tells him the whole truth. In her vulnerability. She pours out her intimate shameful story. Now I'm not putting shame on the woman. But it's a shameful story because of the culture. That's the only reason it's shameful. It's shameful to be bleeding. As a woman. Society put that on her. So there's the shame story. It's not Jesus doesn't bring the shame story. But the shame story happens to be part of the culture and the custom of that day. It's shameful. It's intimidating. And we need to, again, use our imagination to see the, see the historical Jesus. The men. The men hearing. They've been embarrassed. I mean, I live with a woman. And we've got, there's four boys in our house, including the dog. Five. And sometimes mom talks about periods. It's embarrassing. We don't want to talk about it, right? But it's a reality. Sorry. It's a reality. And, and, and so can you imagine in this culture where it's not just a thing of reality, but it's actually a thing of shame. Think of shame. And so she's standing. And I can see the man probably thinking, this is awkward. She's told the story out loud. They've been eavesdropping. They're in the conversation. Remember Jairus? Jairus, the synagogue leader, he's in the mix, right? Are you with me? His daughter's not well. She's 12 years of age and she's dying. And here is this moment. And they step back and they're like, the silence would be deafening. And the, the, the atmosphere would be thick of just awkwardness. Awkwardness. And they step back, and Jesus steps forward. And he's not unclean because she touches him. She's made clean because he touches her. And then, Just an unclean woman interrupting a rabbi. <laughs> She's just an unclean woman interrupting a rabbi. And she's interrupting somebody who's going to be healed because a man of nobility has stopped. And she's in the mix of the conversation. And, and so there's a man who has authority and who has substance and who has clout in the culture. And he speaks on behalf of his daughter. And then there's an unclean woman who has no father to speak for. She's afraid and she's embarrassed. And Jesus says, Daughter, 
your faith is in you. Go live in shalom. Go be at peace. Be at peace in your heart, in your mind, in society. In that moment, it's just a word, daughter, but Jesus is saying, you might have no father to speak on your behalf. But there's a father who sees and who knows and who heals. Go and be freed from your suffering. Maybe we should just pause and stop there and let's just stand. Jesus is very good. He's a good, good man. And he's a good king. And my prayer this morning is that you would fall in love with Jesus of Nazareth all over again. And he would speak to you this morning. That your heart would be awakened for the first time. Or maybe reignite it. To given your allegiance to this king, a king that everybody needs, and a king that everybody actually did they know him and should they know him would love him. He's so good. He's so kind. So come, Holy Spirit. Come open our eyes to see and our hearts to feel and to experience you and our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Right now. Come Holy Spirit. Come wonderful Holy Spirit. In this moment. I pray that this would be a significant day. For for many people standing here today. God that they would see and know Jesus for who he is. That we would not just talk about the kingdom. But we would extend the reality of the possibility of the kingdom. Breaking in. Lord, we would proclaim that we would activate, that we would touch and heal the sick. God, that we would bring people that are on the outside of society back into the very fiber and, and, and into the center of the family of God. Today, God. That we would speak over this community, over this town, and we would announce and pronounce sons and daughters over our town. God, those who are orphaned. Those who have no reality of what it means to be followed by one who sees and knows. Been abused and been mistreated emotionally, physically, whatever way, God. That we would have a heart of the King Jesus to activate the kingdom reality. To bring in sons and daughters of the Most High God and welcome them to the one family for every family. The one tribe for every tribe. The church of Jesus Christ. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We're just going to rest in his presence. Rest in his presence. What's a little, little more time. For one touch of the king.